Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. On Commons People this week, has the truth about Paul Nuttall's past ruined his chances of winning in Stoke? I was there on that day. I've got witnesses, people who will stand up in court and back me 100%. Did Theresa May do more harm than good in Copeland? Will you support her and say that you too are against these proposals? And will what go around come around for the man who said this about Hillary Clinton? Lock her up, lock her up! All this and more on Commons People. Hello and welcome to Commons People. I'm Owen Bennett and this week I'm joined by Ned Simons, Martha Gill and Paul War. Did you like the new theme tune, guys? Obviously. Loved it. Can we be as spooky as Stranger Things, given that, you know, that's what it sounds like. It was a homage to Stranger And who wrote the theme tune? Well, the PRS checks are going to this guy, (laughs) pointing at myself, listeners. Anyway... Uh, Let's crack on, shall we? With Parliament in recess, journalists have been forced to look beyond the bubble for stories this week. But thankfully, a couple of by-elections have kept us all in business. Let's start with Stoke Central. It has been a bad week for the Labour and UKIP candidates, hoping to succeed Tristram Hunt. Labour's Gareth Snell had to apologise after a series of tweets were uncovered in which he made derogatory comments aimed at high-profile women. But it was UKIP's Paul Nuttall who faced the greatest embarrassment after he was asked about claims on his website regarding his involvement in the Hillsborough tragedy. Here is Nuttall being quizzed on Liverpool's Radio City. That's on your website. I haven't lost a close personal friend. I've lost someone who I know, but I don't know who's written... January 9th, 2012, on your own site. Lost close personal friends. It's on your, it's on your well, website. That's, that's not from me, I'm sorry. It's on your own website, Paul. Well, that, that, that is absolutely... Not, I, I'm sorry, that's... I haven't, lost anyone who close, I haven't lost anyone who was a close personal friend. There was people who uh, I knew... So, Paul Nuttall there, uh, admitting that what was on his own website wasn't true and then uh, the press officer who wrote the articles on his website has since offered her resignation but just how damaging is this for Paul Nuttall's chances of being elected Paul what do you think I mean you're someone who is from the north and uh, so you could be our northern representative here absolutely but but you know it's easy I think people sometimes in the south don't understand don't quite get the significance of Hillsborough just what a kind of... I mean, Aaron Banks this week said it wasn't a cultural happening, but actually it kind of was in a lot of ways. And is this going to sort of sink his campaign? I think it's done great damage to not just his campaign in, in Stoke, but to UKIP nationally, I think, particularly in the north. I mean, there's already people now saying that, you know, just as they wanted to, and they have boycotted the sun on Merseyside, that, you know, that UKIP should be boycotted uh, off the back of this. Um, and it's not just about Liverpool. It's about that sense of... Uh, you know, something being really smelly about someone claiming 
to be actually present at this tragedy and we do or do not know for sure exactly if he's got enough witnesses lined up for that but it's more about you know how can you how can you possibly make a mistake on this kind of thing how could his press officer have invented those quotes why did she do it and all those questions continue now as as we speak, Nuttall is going to come out fighting, I understand, do an interview with the Daily Mail and the Daily Express and maybe a little bit of TV. So he's been hiding for a few days, it seems. And now he was he's in meetings come out. all day yesterday, apparently. Exactly. But, so he's going to have to say something and he will say something. So hopefully, you know, by the time the listeners listen to this, they'll see what that is. But the questions still remain, you know, why did he say, for example, and Owen, you found this on his website as well, that he wrote a letter to the Liverpool Echo in 2012, starting it by saying, as a Leppings Lane survivor. And then yesterday on that same interview, um, or two days ago, he said he'd been in the upper tier of Leppings Lane. Now, no one really who was in the upper tier describes himself as a survivor. If you're in the pen, if you were near the crush or being crushed, then you're a survivor. Why did Paul Nuttall call himself a survivor? And I spoke, well, I spoke to um, an MP earlier on who was very associated with the Hillsborough campaign and that kind of thing. And the MP said actually, picking up on your memo this morning, Paul, that exact point, that the term survivor is associated with a specific group of people. And just using that word, it it, it doesn't sit right, does it? What do you think, Ned? Yeah, I was going to say, it seems like this might be kind of the defining moment of Nuttall's leadership. I mean, he's this is his big kind of coming out party is running in this election. And then the first thing a lot of people are seeing of him is kind of you know, disingenuous or looking shifty. It's very different than Farage, whose kind of main uh, thing he managed to do was to seem authentic. Now, whether he was or wasn't, that's not the point. People believed him to be authentic. With this, Nuttall's immediately going to be seen as a, a bit shifty and, and making stuff up. Even even if he's totally telling the truth, it looks like he isn't. Yeah, and not, not only that, it's very odd calling yourself a survivor kind of associating trying to claim a sort of victim status is sort of is the is the opposite end of the cultural scale to UKIP. UKIP is sort of supposed to stand against this sort of people call them snowflakes people who kind of claim themselves to be victims and here's Paul Nuttall trying to kind of I don't know bolster his campaign or bolster himself as a politician by adopting this status as a survivor it doesn't sit is as you say, it's not really what, what UKIP is. And about. I thought also, I mean, that's right. You know, the, the, the whole point of of Paul Nuttall really was to sort of ape a, a little bit of the Farage authenticity. He's a guy who's supposed to have brought the North with him, the Northern votes. This is why everyone wanted Nuttall to be the leader to succeed. Farage had a series of uh, uh, sort of temporary leaders, as we all know, last year. This guy. Um, is supposed to be the one who delivered that northern vote. Now, he started off really well. He, he stuck to the script, which was clearly written for him by uh, Patrick O'Flynn, and it was a very clear script about pitching at all those disaffected Labour voters who culturally feel that Jeremy Corbyn isn't on their side, whether it's on patriotism or defence or whatever. Um, and he was very shrewd, shrewd when he did his first launch speech. But since then... We've seen this sort of brittleness and slightly shiftiness, and I think that isn't a good look at all. And also, I mean, one of the things that Labour were going to try and attack Nuttall for was his perceived support in NHS privatisation. Now, when I went up there, and the first thing above his constituency office is support for the NHS, he gave an interview to me in which he said, I've changed my mind on it, I was wrong about privatisation, so really grasping the nettle, which is, you know, politically quite a savvy thing to do, instead of 
for many years, people ran away from UKIP's arguments they didn't want to engage. But as you began, okay, if you want to talk about the NHS, we'll talk about it. I think this. He's tried to negate it, yeah. whether or not people believe is another question. But they said that the hand of Patrick O'Flynn, the former political editor of the Daily Express, who was an MEP and, and one of his advisors there. But this does come off the back of a series of other things. There was a claim that he played football for Tramia Road, was professionally. He didn't. He was a youth player. There was a claim that he had a PhD. He didn't. He started a PhD course. He never finished it. There was a claim he was a resident of Stoke. Well, actually, he never even slept in the house <laughs> before he put it on his uh, on his nomination. Uh, and papers. of course, if you want to look anything up on his website, you can't now because it's been taken down for scheduled yeah. maintenance. Exactly. Which but the big question is, what impact will it have on this by-election? See, I don't think and it's have a huge I'm not sure how much impact it will have. I mean, I talked to a Labour MP only this morning who'd just come back from, from Stoke and he'd been up several times and he said, now this might be wishful thinking, he said that the mood had changed. Like a couple of weeks ago, he asked people door knocking, Labour voters, are you going to turn out? And he said, oh, yeah, I guess I will do, reluctantly. And he, yesterday on the stump, he said people were enthusiastically pro-Labour now. Um, and they were, because the date of the election was getting closer, their minds were being focused, they weren't sure at all about nothing. And he also said that there was a, there was a, a UK Kip stand in the town centre with one bloke there and nobody at it. Absolutely no traffic going to it. That might be because people are embarrassed to be seen with UKIP, possibly, and they're all shy UKIP voters. But also there was a sense that um, the Hillsborough thing was filtering through. We'll see whether or not that is. I just think it's more going to have an impact. Thinking. Yeah, I think, it's, I think it might have an impact this by election, but I think going past this by election, now people have got something to, 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 to get Paul Nutted on. And it is this this claim of shiftiness, is this are you telling us the truth and is this kind of thing? And I think actually this could really harm his leadership. And what, what does he do if, if, the, if he doesn't win? What happens to Nuttall then? I mean, what's the next move he has to make to try and maintain some momentum behind UKIP and um, what they're aiming for? If, if he doesn't win, well, see, if he doesn't do win, then? then I think he rides it off as oh, I was a victim of terrible press smears, and he you know spins that, doesn't he? Spins that line. He dusts himself off, and he just has to go again somewhere. There's this talk that he's going to go for Lee, which is a seat that Andy Burnham currently holds in Greater Manchester, which Andy Burnham, if he becomes Greater Manchester Mayor, will leave. And there's just suddenly there's this wonderful revisionism that oh well Paul Nuttall should have waited for Lee. Labour's majority there is like twenty thousand, right? <laughs> the yeah. idea that if Paul Nuttall started campaigning five years ago, I don't think he would have won yeah. there. So I don't if buy that. And they win in the quotes yeah. Brexit and capital they, of Britain. They call it Brexit capital Stoke with you know a five thousand majority. God Jared, help him elsewhere else. Jared Bat- way- sorry, Martha. <laughs> um, is there a way he can pull it back now? Like he's had, he's had these discussions over the last day. Is there, is there a line that he can take to defend himself that that might just save him? Yeah, well, like, I suppose. I mean, what sort of what you see right now is if if politicians kind of double down on their on their mistakes or their or, or even their lies, as we've seen, for example, with Trump, then it seems to play better for them at the moment um, in this climate than apologising, actually, or or kind of scrambling to kind of get out of it. I mean, what do you think? I think that on Hillsborough, it is such a emotive and emotional issue. Mm. I think he has to come clean. And obviously, he maintains that he was at Hillsborough, and we've got no proof that he wasn't at Hillsborough, right? So we've got to take his... And he said, you know, I'll take him on to court. He said, I wasn't, so let's, you know, bear that in mind. So I think that he's going to have... I think if he wants to put it to bed, he's going to have to get someone to back up that he was there. Someone's going to have to come on the record and say, I was there with Paul on that that terrible day. And that's the only way I think he's going to be able to to move it on from that. It was interesting because obviously they're, they're running in, in the Brexit capital and it was Gerard Batten, who's their Brexit spokesman, at a, a kind of press launch for, a, well, it was just kind of a glorified press conference, really, um, in Stoke. And he said that if people vote Labour, they're voting to annul their pro-Brexit vote, which 
I see what he was doing, but it's quite a dangerous it's game. Like a Lib Dem slogan, isn't it? Well, yeah, because then if, if Labour win, they, then they can say, well, there you go, you said this undid the, the referendum. So it's quite, quite a high risk. Let's, um, let's do this week's quiz. Oh, now, nice you know, and early. Before, right, listener, nice and early. Dear listener, right? That we had Sarah Harris who's going to do our quizzes for James us. James Davis, he's still tuning in, I hope. He's still tuning in. Yeah, All right, okay. James. Uh, well, she's doing her own podcast now. She's a spin-off. It's a bit like sort of Knott's Landing from Dallas, you know. <laughs> oh, I don't know what that is. Uh, I'm thinking uh, more Joey's friends. audience here. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I think what's the one where the spin-off's better than the original, though? Frasier. Right, yeah. Frasier's yeah, better than she is, yeah? She's Frasier. Let's not say that. Yeah. Does that make you norm? Anyway... Anyway, this week's, so I've done the quiz, in other words, right? So it's shocking again, right? And basically, I'm going to give you some um, some claims about politicians, right? right? About previous jobs they've held. And you've got to tell me whether it's nuttal, not true, or not, it is true. Wait, hang on, what? All right? What? Nuttal or not at all? No, nuttal or not. What's, why is okay. it not? Because it's the opposite of nuttal. I, look, right, okay. I, I was really busy. How about what about nuttal or, or, or not at all? <laughs> no. Because then they're both wrong, aren't yeah. they? Yeah, so not all is wrong, so uh, not right. is right. How about not all, all, not all, all? <laughs> right, let's just we get on do with the it. Quiz. Okay, ready? I don't think this is our strength as a group. Boyko Borisov, who was the Bulgarian Prime Minister from 2014 to 2017, as you all know. Yeah. Did he used to be a bodyguard? Ooh. Mm. Mm. I, yes. So not. not. <laughs> <laughs> absolute nonsense. Um, Martha? Oh, I don't know. I don't think so. Not right. at all. I'm going to say yes. Not. He was a bodyguard <laughs> to uh, the, one of the pre- the communist leader of Bulgaria. Brilliant. From, uh, <laughs> all right, <laughs> Todor Christoph Shuskov. That's fantastic. All right. So Isn't that brilliant? Bodyguards can make Colinder it. Grabber Gitarovic, who is the current Croatian president. Isn't she, Ned? I love your yep. pronunciation. Thank you very much. Did she used to be a uh, chess world master? <laughs> I'm saying... Where's she present? Um, Croatia. Croatia. No, mm. not, not all. Croatia, is, that, is it not, big yeah. in yeah. chess? Yeah, one that's no. Not all. It's yeah. a bit random. Chess grandmaster. Except you didn't say grandmaster. grandmaster. What, that, like, what level is that? Grandmaster. That's very high. Quite senior. Um, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say not all. I... Would like to say yes to be different, but I'm also going to say no. Okay, no, she right didn't. Answer. But did you know that one of the world chess grandmas at the moment, one of the female ones, her first name is Nazi? Just I'll tell you that. Bit random. Yeah. Where's she from? Uh, Russia. Mm. Um, <laughs> Evo, Evo Josipovich, who was the previous Croatian president from 2010 to 2015, was a classical composer. Hmm... Hmm. Um, no, you're you're trying I to convince us with that face. Like so I'm going to say Kovic. no. Is that what you're doing? I'm going to say I'm going to say no. I'm going to say not all. I'm also going to say no. You're just reading off a list of jobs in front of you. Yeah. No, I don't know. No, he was right. Ah. So not. Okay. okay, this is okay. Ready, <laughs> President Bring back Gubanguli, Bird Birdie McHamadov, who. As you know, was is such the a well-designed quiz. I can't go of Turkmenistan. Yeah, uh, was he a dentist? Uh. <laughs> yes, I'm just gonna say yes. Yeah, mm. not all. No, what? Not. Oh, not. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna say not. Yeah, I'm gonna say not all. I'm gonna say not. 
Right. Asadu was a dentist, wasn't he? He, no, he was an eye surgeon. surgeon. He was a dentist. Not only was he a dentist, he was a dentist to the previous leader. Oh, nice. This is a pretty good way into becoming... Yeah. yeah. And finally, Shavkat Mirazove... Zovev. Very anti Eastern European. I love that you haven't been able to pronounce any of the names. The Uzbekistan president since 2016. Did he used to be a rock star in the country, Ned? I'm looking Uh, at you here. um, No. Because you love. So you think Nuttall? Yeah. Mr. War. Play along at home, listener. I'm going to say yes, he was. Mm, yeah. No, okay. he wasn't. I made uh, it up. Uh, <laughs> ah, right. I can see Paul Did he write the theme God, tune? A lot so there we are. That was uh, this week's quiz. Come back, come back, Sarah. Anyway, all right? Yeah. Good. Good, right. Paul's really desperate to get out. <laughs> uh, did you know Ross Kemp's in the building today, by the way? Yeah, Ross that's Kemp's why it's a huge queue. As we speak. It's it's a massive queue. Yeah, that's what that was about. Massive queue. Anyway. It's not just Stoke Central, which is awash with political journalists and campaigners, of course. Voters in Copeland are also going to the polls next Thursday. Prime Minister Theresa May paid a visit to the seat on Wednesday, a sign that the Tories feel they might get an unexpected win. But did she do more harm than good when she repeatedly dodged a question on local NHS services? There's a big fear here over the downgrading of maternity services at West Cumberland Hospital. Your candidate has said that her four daughters were born there and she's totally against these changes. Will you support her and say that you too are against these proposals? Well, first of all, there's been a lot of scaremongering about hospital services and the NHS uh, here by the Labour Party. There's no truth in the suggestion that A&E at West Cumberland Hospital is about to close. Uh, They have been misleading in their representation of uh, what I've said about maternity services at West Cumberland Hospital. Trudy Harrison, our candidate, does indeed know the importance of these services. She is opposed to the ground downgrading of these services. Uh, Are you opposed to the Prime Minister? What is important is that Trudy Harrison is a candidate who has made clear her views, not just to me, but to health ministers. But she's also somebody who has a track record of delivering for local people. She would be the strongest voice for Copeland, the strongest voice for rural Cumbria, if elected on the 23rd of February. Are you against those proposals, though? Do you support her opposition to these proposals? The Labour Party has been completely misleading about what I've said about maternity services. So what do you at, say about them? What I've said about maternity services at West Cumberland Hospital. And Trudy Harrison has made very clear to me the importance of those services. There is an issue about recruitment and retention of doctors. Trudy has come up with a very sensible idea that there should be a professionally led review into that issue of recruitment and retention and that is something that the health minister is looking at. So four times there she was asked and four times she denied Jesus or whatever. Um, religious, whatever. Point is... It wasn't a good look, was <laughs> Go it? On. No, it wasn't, it was it? It really wasn't. <laughs> and the, the whole point about going up there, you would have thought, you only visit a seat if you've got something to say, something to help the local candidate. Yeah. And she didn't have anything to help the candidate on nuclear, and she didn't have anything to help the candidate on the NHS. The two big issues in the campaign. The Tories are really pushing nuclear hard for obvious reasons. Jeremy Corbyn allegedly flaky on the whole thing, and he failed to answer himself five times, I think it was. The irony of that interview was she just said earlier, well, Jeremy Corbyn has not answered the question about keeping open this nuclear power plant for five <laughs> times. And then she goes on and four times it refuses to answer about the NHS. Whereas Tim Farron will answer anything you ask <laughs> at the moment. It was bizarre, but... Um, I have to say, I mean, obviously, we can tell why she's reluctant. As a Prime Minister, you don't want to open this whole Pandora's box of saying, well, yeah, I'm opposed to local NHS reconfiguration because everywhere else will then say, well, why not us? But this is a by-election. 
and it's the first chance to really, really go for Labour, and it's a very winnable seat for the Tories. So I cannot for the life of me understand why she didn't have a form of words that said something like, I share the concerns of our candidate. Um, it means that the Prime Minister is not necessarily ordering anyone to do anything, but saying something like, I'm clearly on your side. And she said something like, there will have to be a very, very good reason for this to go ahead. But at the moment, I share her concerns, and I'm really worried about it. Then, you know, that might have got her a bit further down the line in helping the candidate. And it might have done... going as a PM spokesman, wasn't there, recently? Yeah. should have gone for it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, and, yeah, and go I was going to say that, and that story is the front page of the local paper yeah. up there as well. So it's not kind of gone under the radar. It has been noticed. So it might be the case that the risk wasn't worth taking of going up there. It just seems that she's done damage rather than yeah. any help. What was the headline? The lady's not for hearing or something? Something like that, something yeah. Like yeah. That. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was not a good headline in the local paper. And don't forget, I think it's. I think that local paper is once a week. I think it's a weekly. Well, there is a weekly paper, and the whole point of going there on a Wednesday was to hit the local paper, the <laughs> last one before the by-election. Job achieved. Um, just <laughs> so you know, they're going to have to pull something out of the out of the can for next Thursday um, to make sure they can narrow that gap. But it's Labour are very confident about, um, or increasingly confident about Copeland. Uh, so do you, which, what do you think? I don't know. At the moment, it depends entirely. A Tory MP said to me this week, he'd been up and said, actually, a lot of Labour voters are saying, I'm going to stay at home. Now, if it comes down to turnout, then it could be very, very close. And what do we think about Stoke? Let's get some predictions. Stoke looks more more favourable for Labour. I'm feeling Labour because I think they've got the ground game there. And they've got a 5,000 majority, don't forget. And the people who, there are 7,000 people Labour have worked out locally who didn't vote in the general election but did vote in the Brexit referendum. And they're the people they're really worried about. If those 7,000 people turn out who are overwhelmingly Brexit, um, then they think it could be iffy because they could turn out for for not all. The question is, will they turn out? Martha, what do you think? Give us predictions. Um, The Tories have sort of poured everything into Copeland's um, loads of MPs have gone up there who've apparently never been to the North before. I think one quote was like, the North is really massive. Yeah, it's a great from Mark <laughs> Wallace on yeah. Con Home today about that, yeah. Um, as you say, it depends on what what the reaction is to May, but I'm sure that that that, that they've kind of, yeah, they've they've put everything into this. So I think the NHS is, is so huge, and we, we always forget that actually people who don't necessarily take a very close interest in politics are in Westminster. What they've seen every night for the last two weeks on the BBC News at 10 o'clock has been an NHS story. The BBC last week spent the whole of their week devoted to leading the 10 o'clock news on the A&E crisis in the hospital, showing how bad it was. And I'm told that Labour locally in both Copeland and in Stoke have seen that as basically an extra party political broadcast. Mm. Now, that's not good news for the BBC <laughs> from the Tories' point of view, but boys, it helped them on the, on the ground. Excellent, great. You're listening to Commons People, the Huffington Post politics podcast. Now let's go from West Cumberland to Washington. And in news which has left us all in shock, Donald Trump's fledgling administration is facing a crisis already. The president's security advisor, Michael Flynn, quit his job after just 24 days after it emerged he had misled the vice president about the contents of a call with the Russian ambassador in December. He is alleged to have discussed sanctions, which as a private citizen is illegal under US law. And we know just how tough Flynn is on national security because he made it crystal clear at the Republican National Convention last August. I have called on Hillary Clinton. I have called on Hillary Clinton to drop out of the race because she, she put our nation's security at extremely high risk with her careless 
use of a private email server. Lock her up, lock her up. You guys are good. <laughs> Damn right. You're exactly right. There's nothing wrong with that. And you know why? And you know why? You know why we're saying that? We're saying that because if I, a guy who knows this business, if I did a tenth, a tenth of what she did, I would be in jail today. So, so, crooked Hillary Clinton, leave this race now. Ned, did he do a tenth of what she did? God, it's exhausting, isn't Sub it? Sub-question. <laughs> Should he be in jail today? <laughs> it's only been like a month. It feels forever, doesn't it? It's just hard, kind of, isn't it? It's hard. Just, uh, how are we going to keep on. going for four years? I think... No, go on. Just, well, just the, the main thing is it's uh, it kind of plays this idea that no one really knows who's in charge in Washington. I think it's been interesting reporting in the Washington Post and New York Times that are doing an excellent job, I think, of really holding the administration to account. And one thing I think was Paul Ryan, who's a speaker in a meeting, said to you know, uh, Bannon and people, who's running the show? John McCain today said, you know, I don't know who's in charge. Is it his 31-year-old advisor? Is it Bannon? We just don't really know what's going on. I think with Trump's decision to, after having fired Flynn and then said, oh, he's a really good man, though, well, you've just fired him. But, but, but um, what is the Flynn thing about, right? So we talked to the, so you basically had a conversation with a Russian com- ambassador saying, hey, these sanctions that Obama's doing, yeah. don't worry about them. Which you're not allowed to do. But it yeah. wasn't just that. It was also that he told the vice president, Mike Pence, that he didn't do that. Right. So Mike Pence went out onto TV to defend Flynn. Uh, having been told the wrong thing. So it was also the fact that he'd lied to Mike Pence, who's kind of has an independent power base because he's not kind of the beck and call of the president. So it kind of came down to just Trump back uh, Flynn or Pence and Pence sort of won out. And, then, and there's a famous question in US politics, which is, what did the president know and when did the president yeah. know it? Which you can apply to everything. And, and I guess that's and, the issue now, yeah. right? Is what did the president know and when did he know it? And I mean, and did Flynn phone kind of just on his own accord or was he was he asked? Yeah, him? I mean that that is a classic question, and Trump will have to sort of answer it at some point. It sounds like he did know early on, and he knew before Pence what happened, uh, and why didn't he tell Pence? That that's a big question. But the other Watergate question is always, or the claim, the cliche is that it's, it's the cover-up's worse than the crime. Uh, but actually, in this case, the crime is worse. Yeah. Than <laughs> because, you know, if you're, if you're talking to the Russians about national security without full authorization, and there is this obscure law in the United States that, you, you know, a, a civilian who's not a member of the government, literally it's a criminal offense to talk to an enemy nation um, without being part of that administration. So if or, I ran at the Russian embassy now and I was American and went, can I speak to someone about sanctions? I'll be breaking the law. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it's bad. But you know what it reminds me of is that Actually, politics is a professional game. And people like uh, Trump and all the people around him he's, he's hired are deeply inexperienced at politics. And political professionals, they get it in the neck every day. And everyone says, oh, they're the establishment. But actually, if you're a pro, you get the job done. Being a political professional means delivering on what the voters want. So, for example, writing an executive order banning uh, certain groups from around the world. Now, the voters wanted something like that, 
but he, they were incompetent in delivering it because they hadn't done what an old pro would have done and said, right, you need to you need to word this properly. You need to get it past the lawyers. You, you need to make this work. Just Didn't have that. Really incompetent with their racism, essentially. Well, exactly. Yeah, and they could have been effective in that. Um, but, you know, they, there was no pro in the office, no grown-up in the room. And it's the same with Flynn. Flynn was a professional soldier, not a professional politician. So inevitably, he's going to try and make... He, he will be making some mistakes. We saw last year that was sort of populist thing about lock her up but actually he's not a diplomat so he wouldn't know what to say necessarily to the Russians that was right or wrong or how to frame it and that's what's getting them into troubles you've got Steve Bannon who used to run a bloody website is now chief strategist and people who run websites have got no <laughs> you know and, and it just it, sorry executive editor <laughs> but it, in defence of political professionals basically is what I'm trying yeah. to say you know it matters having some experience someone who knows what to do how to enact things and also how to play the game now Trump's made a great virtue of not playing the game, but sometimes to get things done, you've got to. And, you know, even the, with the best will in the world, people, experienced politicians get these things wrong, never mind if you're inexperienced. Everyone's forgetting, but Clinton, for his first two years, hired as his chief of staff a guy called McClarty. Now, he actually was a friend from back home in Arkansas. He'd known him for years. Most of White Washington didn't like him, and he was infective. Clinton finally, after two years, replaced him with a real pro called Leon Panetta, who went on to do all sorts of other things, Defence Secretary, whatever, and CIA. And as soon as Panetta arrived, it steadied the ship. And the same goes in London. I was thinking, you know, Boris Johnson, when he first became mayor of London in 2008, he had a, an ingenue, a novice, a, a bloke called Nick Bowles as his chief of staff. Oh, whatever happened to him? And the wheels fell off Boris's mayoralty very early on. Lots of people were resigning here and there. And who rescued Boris's mayoralty? An old pro called Sir Simon Milton, who was the leader of Westminster Council. He's now dead. But he's revered in Tory circles for being a guy who got things done. He was a fixer. And you need fixers. And you could look at Jeremy, I mean, in a way, Jeremy Corbyn is someone who came in wanting to tear up the rules of the game and do politics differently. But I guess politics is done a certain way because that's the way which it's a it kind of works and it's a profession and it's done and you need to get things done. And, you can, and like you say, you, but I mean, but this guy, Flynn, I'm interested, is, is he going to be, is there jail time? He's broken the law, right? So is he going to be, Let's see. I mean, I, I imagine the Republican Congress who will be up to won't want to pursue it too much because they're going to want to focus on, because what they can do is the Congress, which isn't kind of, you know, Trumpian, they have the power to pass legislation. They won't want to focus on Flynn, even if a lot of Republicans behind closed doors are outraged at what he did. I think that won't be what something they really want to spend too much time yeah, like and don't forget, they've got their own self-interest. If you're a Republican in Congress, you want to make sure you deliver things and you want to make sure you hold on to your seat and the midterms aren't a disaster. Now is the time for them to actually be doing politics and delivering and they will see this as a massive distraction. Well, we, uh, I'm looking forward to more of this. It's exciting, isn't it? It's like House of Cards in real life and with real consequences. <laughs> much darker. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we now bring you our highly anticipated regular feature, In Case You Missed It, where we bring you some political news which might have slipped under the radar amidst well it's been a quiet week so like <laughs> i did i've got it written down here amidst the noise of confusion of a busy week it's not really is it <laughs> basically we've all got lies anyway this week martha you have been looking at uh just about managing families uh May made a big deal of, of helping this particular group people who are kind of just sort of struggling they could uh sort of they're not impoverished but they're not uh living well or or you know above, Net, basically. The, above the minimum in- income standard what? Ned. Yeah, basically, yeah, Ned. Ned. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like it's scruffy. 
<laughs> anyway, Ed's not managing. Um, <laughs> uh, the but but um, some finding this this week uh, sort of showed that in fact a lot of these families, um, just about managing families, are going to stop uh, are in danger of stopping managing uh, in the next few years with um, with price rises in the shops and their income stagnating and they and they're just kind of at a tipping point where they could where they could fall out of this kind of of this group. Um, that's not something Theresa May has really focused on. She just focused on getting the number this number of group uh, this number down and uh, and assisting them. But 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 this is but this is quite wrong. We're getting them down is to stop them being <laughs> just about managing to not managing. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. Well, uh, the interesting thing though is, of course, she she hit upon something just as Ed Miliband hit upon something, which is you know he called them the squeeze middle. She's calls them the just about managing. These are people who are you know are not technically poor, but. Uh, and don't and don't qualify for benefits, but they're boy are they not rich, and you know they're not recognising. You know they're what's about seventeen thousand to twenty one thousand roughly their income, uh, and they're not captured. They they fall through the holes of the of the Whitehall system. So it was quite a shrewd thing for her to do. But this report, as Martha says, the interesting thing is how you define just about managing. And I think this report tried to redefine it and say actually, if you are poor and and you're in, on partly on benefits, then you are just struggling, and that's why they've defined it and the. the number is bigger than people think and i guess we'll see in the budget in march whether there's any kind of relief there we had this week the prime minister spokesman confirming that the, the pension triple lock won't be looked at we know that they're going to look at it in 2020 lots of stuff as you said in your email today paul about um business rates and whether or not that's going to be looked at as well so i feel like we've had a very quiet week and every, i feel like next week's going to be I know we've got the, the by-elections, but next week's everyone's going to fire up a bit more again. Or was it just while well, I just not paying attention this week? Did I just have a quiet week? <laughs> Slacker. So have you not been working really hard? <laughs> so, so many stories. Because I've been working on the theme tune. It was worth it. It's it's been, it's I hope we've it. kept the Ode to Joy theme tune. Oh, yeah, we haven't done that. <laughs> right, so this week the House of Lords table loads of amendments um, to the bill, which is going to them next week. Things like there must be a second referendum and things like we must need the single market. David Davis is scared of ping pong. He's also scared of his text messages being leaked as well. Um, but who do we think had the best week this week then out of Farron or Farage? I think it was a bit easier for Farron. I mean, yeah. you know, be, simply because the Lib Dems are saying they're going to table these amendments in the Lords and they're, they're at least putting up a bit of a fight. So they're getting a bit of profile. You know, it's all absolutely academic. You know, the, the bill's going to pass and they'll get steamrolled. Um, the big question is for Labour: Does it do a ping pong and then a ping, or does it just does it not bother? We'll, we'll see whether or not Labour, because Labour and the Lib Dems are on best terms in the in the on the. Surely red the last thing Labour won is another Brexit vote in the Commons. Well, I mean, precisely. <laughs> Clive Lewis have to resign again. <laughs> I know, but the Lords they're, they're going to be tricky. They're going to see their duties quite seriously to try and scrutinise legislation. But you know, I don't think this is that. Right, the, it starts this now. Is, this isn't the, exactly. This yeah. isn't the sort of. To be honest, this isn't the sort of legislation that the Lords spends ages scrutinising and doing its best at. The Lords is brilliant at scrutiny, but it scrutinises at its best. Really, really complex bills that the Commons had tried to look at. This is a two-clause bill. What is there to scrutinise? And I suspect the temptation for Labour will be actually let's let's just get it, get let's rid of just it. get it down the other end. So I think I, so. I mean, in a way, so on, on the whole, that's Farage. That's Farage, isn't it? But I, I got a sense that probably a bit more Farony this week. Yeah, I think you can start, like, make that case. I and mean, we had um, you certainly will. <laughs> there was a, uh, the European Parliament are starting to kind of say a bit more. You had uh, German MEP uh, yesterday saying, you know, then the Brexit negotiations are going to be 
won't go well for Britain, pointing out, you know, it has to look better to stay in than leave, which they always say. I think on balance you can make the case that the kind of uh, Brexit will be a bad thing has had a bit more of a voice this week than perhaps the previous weeks with the votes going very much the, the, the Brexit way. Excellent. That's great. Well, thanks, guys. And uh, next week we will be um, recording probably the day of the by-elections. We, we might be recording. Make a prediction again. Oh, I didn't yeah. make a prediction. We make a prediction. Yeah, what's your prediction? Go on. Um, I'm going to predict that Nuttall's going to win. Oh, <laughs> stick my neck out. <laughs> yeah. But I think Labour will hold Copeland. I think double uh, I think double Labour hold. That's what I'm going I for. I think Labour will squeak it in both. Yeah. But, Excellent. you know, we'll look foolish. If, if that doesn't happen. We always do, Paul. Apps off, folks. Yeah. <laughs> See you later, everyone. Bye. <laughs>